broadcasting from a radioactive bunker deep within the bracket compound. This is Show Spoilers, Episode 1. If you're joining us from the Real Spoilers podcast, you know that is the show where we spoil the movie of the week in depth. But this is Show Spoilers, and today we're focusing on Game of Thrones, the season finale for Season 7, Episode 7, The Dragon and the Wolf. But before we get into that too much in depth, I want to introduce myself. This is Kevin Brackett. I'm one of the hosts of Real Spoilers. And joining me, you may know him from shows like Shat the Movies and Shat on TV, my co-host, Roger Roper. Hey, Raj. Hey, Kevin. What's going on, man? Thank you so hey. much for uh, for doing this. You know, I feel like Real Spoilers obviously is my go-to podcast when it comes to movies that just came out in the theaters. Do I want to go see it? Do I not? I always tune into you guys, regardless if you spoil me or not, because you always give honest advice. I feel like this week's movie of the week, though, is the finale of Game of Thrones. So it makes sense. It, it does. It's, it's perfect. It's a it's a great uh, tie-in here and a great way to jumpstart things. People might be asking, so you're starting this TV podcast, and what we want to do is similar to what we do over on Real Spoilers. We want to spoil television shows, but you may be asking, <laughs> you're starting with the finale of a television show as your first episode. But really, we both have a passion for Game of Thrones. We love this show, and it's a huge phenomenon, quite possibly the biggest TV event in history. Yeah, I feel like this is skipping to the end of the book and reading that and then going back, you know, like reading the chapters after you've already know what happens uh, at the end. Absolutely. So the plan is what what we want to do is we want to go in depth and discuss television series. And normally we'll start from the first episode of a series and we'll do a weekly podcast. But for right now, we're going to jump on with Game of Thrones, the finale of season seven then transform this into a conversation about another series. And so right now, I think the plan is Mr. Robot. Does that sound good? Mr. Robot uh, is one of those series where I was dedicated to the show, the first season. I kind of I dropped off after season two, but season three is about to come back. And it's, it's a show that I've put like on my shelf. You know, we've been doing over at Shed on TV. We did Westworld and we did... Taboo and American Gods and then Game of Thrones. And when you're doing a weekly podcast, you know what this is like. All of your free time is around what are we doing for the podcast? Where are our notes for the podcast? When are we going to record the podcast? When are we going to edit the podcast? When are we going to. And then in your free time, you watch the show that you're podcasting about. So, Miss Robot was like one of those shows where I had to put it like on the shelf. I'm excited to go back and actually kind of watch season two uh, if in, indeed we are going to do that show next because I, I want to get all caught back up on Mr. Robot. And that's kind of something that we did with Game of Thrones, right? I went back and watched season one, season two, season three, and I started like, oh my God, they're like brilliantly calling back to all these previous scenes that we've seen before. And it kind of makes all sense. Like, I, um, my family members recently went and watched all of game of thrones starting like around christmas time and now they're caught up they know so much about this series they're like my go-to encyclopedia because they just watched it you know like people like you and i we've been watching this show for seven years we have to go back we have to do homework every time we get on this podcast so i feel like mr robot's going to be that same way I don't know if you felt the same way, but when I was watching season one, when it premiered on HBO, I was like, who is who? Who are all these people? What are all their names? What is the podcast? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Remember what it felt like that first season of trying to remember everyone's name? Oh, my goodness. Listen, I will still get names wrong. I apologize. And uh, in the event that that I mispronounce a name or anything like that, you can reach out to me. 
at Twitter, uh, my my Twitter handle is Roger underscore Roper, and there you can just you know send me your corrections and omissions. Absolutely, and my Twitter handle is Kevin R Bracket, Bracket with two T's, and uh, if Roger screws up, tweet at him. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of it. There's going to be a lot of it. There's going to be a lot of it. Well, I mean, so, so overall, what did you think? I mean, this is the, for a show known for its penultimate episodes, you know, the ones right before the finale, this is the season right before the finale. Do you think they stuck the landing? I've had a little bit of a problem going going back to the beginning of this season with the rushed pace. And, of course, they decided to go with seven episodes this season. Every other season has had ten. And I thought, okay, we don't need as much filler stuff. This will be nice. We'll, we'll get the scenes that we want to see. But they almost swung it in the opposite direction where it was too rushed and too fast. And I would have enjoyed a little bit more dialogue, a little bit more clever writing, not so much just Deus Ex Machina getting from one situation to another. It just seemed very convenient, and I think they did that so they could speed up the season. They couldn't They couldn't have them linger around and try to figure out how to get out of a situation for half an episode. They knew that their time was limited, but it's just we're used to seeing such good writing and such good storytelling that while I enjoyed this season, I, I still love the show, and it's still some of the best TV out there. I just don't always agree with how they got out of situations and and that leads me to the penultimate episode which was the last one when mm-hmm. Jon Snow the seven the seven guys the magnificent seven so to speak <laughs> went out to capture the white and I, I just thought there were so many conveniences in that episode. It right. just it just didn't feel right. And and for a show that's about fantasy, I understand and, and we'll get a lot of crap and people are gonna say, you know, it's a show with dragons, it's a show about fantasy. That's fine, but we've built this universe up over sixty episodes for the first six seasons. And so the show still I feel has to play by its own rules. So even if it's a fantasy show, they've established these fantasy rules and it seems like they're breaking a lot of them to speed things along and, and things just just off the cuff that kind of bothered me. It, it conveniences of, uh, you know, ravens flying so fast and getting right. worried to and fro. Jon Snow falling in the water beneath the ice. How, you know, I know that he has died and been brought back to life, but unless he is some kind of a zombie, I presume that he still has these human qualities where he can hurt or drown or get really cold. And I, I, so I don't know the exact science behind it, but things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He does. (laughs) You know, it's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. It's like, if if you want, if you want to play by these rules and do human things, you have to have human qualities. So, you know, it just, it just kind of seemed odd. And, and also talking about Gendry, being able to run fast enough to, to get all the way back to the wall and to send a raven to Daenerys and Daenerys to fly back. And in the meantime, these seven humans or six and whatever you want to call Jon Snow at this point, <laughs> they, they didn't freeze to death waiting for them. Uh, you know, it, it just seemed odd. And so, again, it didn't ruin my opinion of the show. I'm still enjoying it. But that episode with, with so much deus ex machina to, to just move things along – it just it, it just left me feeling odd and questioning things where this show is usually a show where I don't question it. I don't yeah. have to. The writing is that good, and it feels weird to do that, and it's kind of been a lot of that during season seven. What do you think? Well, yeah, and well, actually, I, I think that there were five humans and two zombies, if you count Beric, but the, okay. the, 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 the 
I had a very similar problem, and I think that's the majority of the audience. And by no means are we saying Game of Thrones is a terrible show. That's not what we're saying. We still love Game of Thrones. What we are saying is if you compare season seven to the previous six seasons, it just feels different. And at times, they're going against their own established reality rules within a fantasy world setting. You can't change it seven seasons in, such as things like armor sinking to the bottom. Does armor have a different weight distribution in this world? If it does, establish that. Let us know. But otherwise, like we assume the rules of gravity worked and there just happened to be dragons. Like you're putting in all these, you know, featurettes at the end of episodes showing us how you take painstakingly, you know, detailed analysis on how a dragon would fly in our worlds of gravity. But you don't explain to me how Braun jumped in and pulled up, you know, Sir Jamie from with, with his armor. That's the kind of things that I think people are most upset about. Does it overall take away from this show? No, I just feel that they're like you talk about the penultimate episode with the ice dragon. I felt that that would have been a better closure because this episode, this finale of season seven, it felt like a bridge episode. It really felt like for all the the fast pacing that they did early on, they they decided at the end, hey, we're going to slam our brakes right before we hit, you know, an ice wall. I agree. I like the pacing of this episode, and I actually liked it when they didn't have as much closure and as much action, so to speak, going on, because it it felt more like the previous season. It felt like a throwback, but why bring in the throwback at the end? And I will say, just going back, because I didn't want to skip over it, when Jamie falls in the river at the end of the episode, so he's charging at Daenerys, he wants to kill her, but Bronn saves him, he falls into the river... And then you think, how are they going to start the next episode? So I, 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 we were waiting. I waited a whole week to find <laughs> out how he got out of that situation. Yeah. The episode starts. Jamie and Bron are down the river. Yeah. I guess Daenerys just decided, oh, he's in the river. Uh, let's just clear out <laughs> now. Right. Tyrion's, don't know. Tyrion's not yeah. like worried about like what happened to my brother. Sure. Right. Uh, it, just, it was just so weird how they skipped over it. Yeah. And the only thing I can think of is they had that dramatic scene just to have it, just to have Jamie charging at Daenerys in a cliffhanger because in the next episode they don't address it. It's just like, oh, they got out of that situation. I can't remember lazier writing in the history of the show. I agree. I've never seen them not address something like that. Yeah. Something defying. And Game of Thrones had done things with jumps in time effectively in previous seasons. Season one, for instance, the growth of the dire wolves was meant as a way to show that time had passed without knocking it over the head of the audience with words at the bottom four months later or something like that, right? Like they Mm -hmm. tried to show, okay, some time has passed. The puppy has grown. It's now an adolescent dire wolf, all that that jazz. This, they just kind of were like, hey, we send a raven and it's like a pneumatic tube. It just (laughs) flies really fast to King's Landing. So anyway, now... We're talking about penultimate episodes here. How do you think the penultimate episodes? We've talked a lot about uh, last last week's episode of season seven. How does that, how do you think that compared to the others? You talk about the fast writing. You talk about some of the sloppiness, some of the the tropes that were taken. How does that compare to some of the others? In previous seasons. Well, that's the thing is I just it didn't have the same effect as the others did. We've we've come to know now since the first three seasons, I'll say it really solidified it that the penultimate episode is where the crazy stuff happens. 
we're going to get the big battle. We're going to get all the good stuff. So just going through these, you know, I went back and I looked at what was the penultimate episode every season. Why did we enjoy them so much? And so you're talking about season one. You've got Ned is killed. Everyone loved Ned Stark and boom, beheaded. You've got season two, the Battle of the Blackwater. Season three, the Red Wedding. I mean, that was crazy. And that's where I think once the Red Wedding hit, we're like, okay, every penultimate episode is the big one. And then they kind of wrap things up at the end uh, with the last episode. But yeah, season four, you're talking about the Wildlings and the attack on Castle Black. Season five was huge. Season five may have been one of the best penultimate episodes, but you've got uh, Shireen that was sacrificed. You've got Jamie going to Dorne to rescue Marcella. You've got the Sons of the Harpy attacking Daenerys and the group in Marine, which was you know a huge showdown because we got to see Drogon swoop in and uh, Daenerys was able to ride him for the first time. You were at the edge of your seat. I remember watching that episode. Mm-hmm. How are they going to get out of this? Yeah. They were surrounded, Daenerys and Tyrion, and they were all just surrounded by hundreds of these these guys, and they were killing everybody. That's when the night, oh, yeah, yeah Sir Barristan yeah, was killed. Uh, Correct, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were just killing everybody, right. and you, it was like, how are they going to get out of this? And I think they they just had an amazing scene, and this is an example of good writing. This is a scene that they wrote to save the day the, you know Drogon swoops in she rides him and it was awesome so that left you feeling so whole after that episode and then last season season six the penultimate episode was Battle of the Bastards which was an epic showdown we had been waiting for it all season and it really paid off so I just don't feel like Jon Snow and the crew going beyond the wall to to get the white it just it just didn't feel the same as those yeah guys. and you, you talk about these other penultimate episodes the fact that you know Characters that you cared about, the ones that, even if they were side characters or auxiliary characters, they had a scene that was a meaningful death. In last week's episode, the, the death of a, a character like Benjamin Stark, was it, it was just kind of a throwaway. And it was, again, a, a trope for him to ride in at the last minute and save a Jon Snow had already like, emerged from the ice. And Benjen doesn't have room to get on the the horse. It was. Have you seen all the uh, memes going around, yeah. like the Titanic <laughs> meme? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> John Snow, like love, on the door. I don't have room for you. Here. Well, I love the mental gymnastics that we're all doing because we all love this show so much that we're like, well, Benjen had to die so he could use the chains to pull up the dragon, right? Yeah, that's oh, what don't it even was. Get me started. Yeah, let's start making <laughs> excuses for our favorite show. Real quick, though, they did a disservice to themselves in this episode because they actually put a line. I took note of this. I believe Jamie asks John if the whites can swim, and he says, no, they can't. I'm like, who put the chains on that dragon? <laughs> That's right. What do you have? So wait a minute. Some scuba diving whites? Right. I mean, so the whole the problem is, and again, I didn't mention this earlier, and I'm not just trying to bag on the show because, again, I love the show. I, I really enjoy watching it. I've enjoyed watching it every week this season. But that penultimate episode brought up so many questions, and that was another one. Right. Okay, you're going to say, where did they get all these huge chains? And people have said, oh, they've got them from a shipwreck. They've got them from a, a sh- castle, a whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people have, people have come up with so many different ways that they've gotten these huge chains. So then I asked the question, and again, not trying to go against the fantasy of it, but do these whites have the dexterity to dive underwater right. and then... And attach the chains I've, to the dragon. I've I, no how did that happen? I mean, right? that's, and so that, that's definitely that's some like old school Pirates of the Caribbean zombie people, like when they're yeah. on the floor and they're doing the whole anchor thing. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't know. Establish some rules, set some ground rules, whatever the double D's figure out. We'll go with it. 
just let us know what we're supposed to believe. That's all we're saying. But talking about the finale, so I know there's a lot of other podcasts that you can choose to get your Game of Thrones fix and your, and your television fix. A lot of them go in a scene-by-scene format. Is that something you want to do here, or should we just kind of talk about like big plot points? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think we need to dissect it scene by scene. I think that we should just talk about the most important things that we think happened in the show, yeah. the most important things for the story. We can just dissect them as much as we want to get into them. And then, you know, we can always come back the next episode, address things that maybe we missed or questions from the listeners. But uh, I say let's just go with it. Okay, perfect. So some things that I wanted to talk about, uh, some of the, there's that big different factions meeting where we're finally seeing some characters that have never shared screen time together. It was almost like a Scooby-Doo episode, right? Where they see like the their the, the bizarro Scooby-Doo, where they're kind of looking at mirror images of each other. There's the Dragon Pit Gladiator Arena in King's Landing, where Tyrion makes a allusion uh, to Balerion, the, uh, the Black Dread. The fact that I, I feel like this show, now that it's focusing less on the Game of Thrones, now it's closing in and really focusing only on the dead. And the White Walkers has the show just become game of the Walking Dead because I feel like they're falling into the same pitfalls. We previewed a little bit about them, but the fact that there's a killing problem now, which characters are you going to kill off? There's all these like death fake outs. And now if you look at later seasons of the Walking Dead, they're doing that every episode where they fake they fake the audience out. And it's, it's just it loses its connection to the audience. R plus L. Equals A has been confirmed. How many times do they really need to redeem Theon? Snow has come to King's Landing. The lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. And if Bran is controlling the Night King, is he really leading them to come to Jon's aid to put the rightful heir on the throne? So those are the, those are the questions that I had. And then I think we're also going to talk about uh, whose plot point, which characters uh, were not effectively wrapped up in this season. Sounds great. On Reddit where I like to go and just kind of see where, you know, if people are kind of thinking the same things I am. Uh, this is being called the uh, <laughs> a PowerPoint presentation amongst the kings and queens of Westeros. What did you think of this whole, was there enough tension on both sides? Was this an effective scene? I did really like this scene a lot. It was the first time that we've seen this many characters in one spot. We've never seen anything like this for the major players of the show. And to see Cersei come face to face with Daenerys and to have Jon Snow there. And then also you've got the whole Lannister connection. You have a a Lannister in all these different corners, you know, and and Tyrion standing right there in front of his brother and more importantly, his sister who absolutely despises him and wants him dead. I felt the tension. I really liked the looks that they gave back and forth. I, I just thought that having them all together was really cool and it felt really natural as opposed to, this is the last time I'll go there, but like the last episode, getting the guys to go north of the wall where it was like they just rounded up a bunch of characters because it would be cool to have them together. This felt like a natural way to bring them all in one scene. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of people are saying that this was one of the worst business meetings ever. I mean, Danny's pull, you know pulling the power move tactics, showing up late, you're on, going straight for it, you know, saying, hey, listen, why don't you bend the knee? I got your sister. If you don't, I'm going to kill her right away. Like, you're on, terrible negotiator. Uh, but Cersei... Cersei, I really think, sold the scene for me by checkmating Jon Snow, by using Jon Snow's own loyalty to his father's teachings as a way for her to trick him into believing that there was there would ever be a truce. We have to say to Lena Headey as an actor, she is phenomenal. 
And as much as you want to hate Cersei, she is so good at selling that and her manipulative ways and just everything about her facial expressions. They're phenomenal. So she did a great job. And it's obvious now to us after seeing the episode that she was playing him the entire time. He played right into her hand. And Jon Snow is a guy that just cannot tell a lie. He's he's like honest Abe. No, he's you know? the George Washington of Westeros. Yeah, it, it's just like, yeah, he cannot <laughs> tell a lie. And they say it a few times. It's like Daenerys tells him, Tyrion tells him, like, you could just lie, right. you know. And he's like, no, I can't. That's not that's not what I do. That's not what my father did. And you might say, that's look where that got him. That's but right. It still, it, well, it really you know, did. When you think about you think about what Ned Stark did, right? He lied to try and save his family. At the end, when he bent the knee to, uh, even though in his heart he knew it was wrong to to Joffrey the cunt, um, <laughs> it, it, it didn't pay off for him. That is official that's title. His now. Official title. Elena, rest in peace. I think that's what the show was trying to do with the scene between Jon Snow and Theon, right? They, he was trying to, to convince Theon, and again, we're going to get to it. How many times does this show have to fucking redeem Theon? It's like a big fake out. Ooh, he's going to be good this time. Nope, he just runs away again, right? Oh, he's going to be a, yeah. you know, he's going to be, he's going to fight really well. Oh, we get an ass kicked again, right? But I think that's what they were trying to show is that Jon Snow is finally the first Stark to live up to the Stark name and he's not really a stark he's a targaryen you can't say ned stark isn't his father because who raised him right Right. it's like superman he came to earth he was an alien he came to earth as a baby and he was raised by the kents so is he really that much less of a human or an american than anyone else it's just because he is a targaryen doesn't mean he wasn't raised by ned and it's the same thing that he says to theon i think it's very fitting and it's foreshadowing that conversation he has with theon it's the same in his situation once he finds out it's not like he's going to disown ned he's not going to say that oh he wasn't his real father it's like no he raised him from a baby yep. and i think that i think that that's very important to take note of so he is a stark so just like he said to theon which we'll get into it's it's like he is he may be a Targaryen, but he still, in my mind, is John Stark, so to speak. It's he's not going to lose that. Well, thinking, talk. Let, well, let's talk about the truce here. So, Cersei says to John, "We will ride up north alongside you. You are king in the north. All John has to do is say, yeah, I want to be king in the north.'" And then let you girls figure it out over what you want to do about King's Landing. That's what Cersei offers him, correct? Right. He says, no, I can't have two queens. That ruins it. Did Cersei know that? But Did Cersei know Jon was going to say that? Well, that's the weird thing, too. And I think that she knows that Jon is so loyal and so good and has such a good heart that I believe she did know that. But what the odd thing is to me is that when Cersei talked about this truce, she didn't do it as a ruler, so to speak. I felt like she really treated them as peers, and she said, I'll give you this truce. Uh, You know, I don't know the exact verbiage, but in my mind, what she said was, but you have to stay in the north so that you're not here working against me. Right. I I feel like she was just saying it it was a stipulation of the truce. I didn't take it as her going, but I am the queen, and I am... I am That's commanding right. you to stay in the north. So all John had to do was he didn't have to say that she's his queen. But if it's just a stipulation of the truce, it's like that's the negotiation. You don't have to have two queens. Right. Well, that's what John wanted. And as he's pulling up with Tyr- 
Tyrion and the sh- and the ship into King's Landing. He's like, listen, there's a million people that just live in the north. How are you going to fit a million people in this city, right? And, you know, Tyrion's like, well, the brothels are better, but listen, and they are. If you've ever been in Kansas or versus New York City, brothels so much better in New York City. But the the <laughs> thing that I that we're saying here though is Cersei knew what John was going to say. She offered him up what he wanted. He rejected it, but she was never really going to give him that to begin with. Right. That in, in the end, she's playing him, and she was able to, again, as a great manipulator, and we've seen over the last couple seasons as she's become the queen, she was always doing it behind the scenes right. before, but now as the queen, she knows exactly how to manipulate people into doing what she wants. And so her goal was to make them think that she was mad and going to break it off. And then that she was going to come back and be this great person and work yeah. with them. And later on, we find out with Jamie that, uh, no, she was just she playing, was playing the whole, the whole time. time. She's not- That's crazy. Yeah. She's not, she's doing, I mean, Cersei is in it for herself, but she makes for a badass character. The greatest stories have the best villains. The fact yeah, that it's, she, it's hard. she played me, she played all my emotions. Like the, the the brilliance again of this episode is that there, there. You, you talk about the throwback where she does something that was totally unknown to us. The fact that she's she sent Euron to Essos to get the golden army. Yeah. We thought Euron was just going to run away like Doctor Zoidberg when he, you know, he saw the white come out of the box. <laughs> but it turns out that she was able to use her power of persuasion yeah. to get Euron back in the game and trick her lover slash brother. Really, it was the long con there, so to speak. And she knows exactly what she's doing. It's all set up before she went to the meeting. Obviously, her and Euron had the plan that that Euron was going to say, "Hey, I'm out. This is crazy." And yeah, meanwhile, he's going to to get this army. Yeah. The bank is going to back them because they pay their debts. They were able to do it faster than anyone else. And so it really does show. And and what she says to Jamie is, you know, you you should have listened when Father was teaching us these things. The one with the gold is really the one that's in control. And they have the the backing of the bank, uh, which means that they have their resources, including this army. Did they say 20,000? Was that the number that they used? It's definitely a large number in the Golden Army. But the thing about the Golden Army is it's like the elite. It's like the Hessians, right? Back in, you know, the Revolutionary War. A very powerful force that, you you know, you don't be reckoned with. Dario, Daenerys' lover, came from the Second Sons, right? Right. Another sellsword company. I, I think Compass. of the Golden Compass, but that's a whole nother like yeah. winter movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, she has basically made it so that I mean, she's the underdog. The Lannisters have become the underdog, and and that's what the conversation be- her, between her and Jamie is all about. He talks about we can't beat the Dothraki, we can't beat the Unsullied forces. There's just too many numbers. They're too good of fighters. And then she goes and pulls this wild card out. And it's it's like Cersei always has found a way, as we've seen in the previous seasons, to come out from being the underdog, whether it's blowing up the Sept and killing everybody, all of her enemies. You think she's down for the count, and she gets back up and comes out on top. So you have to give her credit. And like you said before, you want to hate this character, but there's no way you can just brush over all the credit that she's due. You have to give right. it to her as a strategist. No kidding. Well, are there things that you didn't necessarily like about this whole meeting? I thought it was a well-done scene. I Again, I don't think that some of the stuff made sense that happened. They go back and forth where they start at the meeting and then Cersei retreats. Tyrion goes to talk to her. 
And then I felt like we didn't really get a good idea of what was happening. And and I guess it was explained later on that Cersei was was playing them the whole time. So it makes a little more sense now. But he comes out alive. So you're like, whoa, what did yeah. they talk about? I was like, don't drink the and wine, then, then Tyrion. She, don't drink the wine. Right. As soon as he went to go drink the wine. And, and that's what the thought was. It was like, someone's going right. to die here. Is it exactly. going to be Tyrion? Then she has this meeting with Jaime where Jaime talks to her about leaving to go north and fight alongside everyone else against the whites and this is the one that you were talking about where where she basically says you're a bigger idiot than i thought if you really thought that we were going to yeah. help and he's like what are you talking about we made a promise and and that's when she goes into saying that she played them and she's not going to do that and there was a there was an interesting interaction it was her the mountain who's her guard that follows her everywhere and Jamie and it, it was like okay it's not Tyrion is it going to be yeah. Jamie that dies How he they pulls out the sword like this? she gave, she gave him so, a look what's going on there yeah I, I didn't understand this so this was probably the only thing that I really had a problem with was understanding this whole interaction between the three of them because Cersei basically says that you've betrayed me when you met with Tyrion before and didn't tell right. me you've betrayed me and now you're betraying my orders so I told you not to go north you're saying you made a promise I'm going to do it anyway so that's kind of your last chance and and he says I'm the only person you have left it's just you and me and she you know signals down to her to her pregnant belly and <laughs> and says well there's going to be another one soon and he says okay give the order to the mountain kill me and she nods at the mountain which unless her and the mountain have this uh, telepathic way know, of elaborate. communicating yeah or this elaborate scheme, like, I don't know what was going on here, but she gives him the signal. She nods to him. He's got the sword out. And then Jamie just walks by. It just seemed weird because at this point, the, the mountain is just a puppet. They give orders to him. He does what they say. And so if she gave him the nod, I don't understand why the mountain didn't kill I, Jamie. I, I agree. That was one of these uh, two death fake outs, uh, you know, a, yeah. around a Lannister scene. A little, uh, you could have killed one of them. Game of Thrones. That's all we're saying, or or not, or done, not the done the fake out. That's, exactly. That's the problem. It was the. That's one of these things that has been a problem this season that we've mentioned. It's it's Jamie uh, charging at Daenerys and then almost dying and then falling into the water cliffhanger. What's going to happen? That's right. And it not paying off. It's Jon Snow falling into the ice or in the water and next scene being pulled out and, and he's yeah. fine, right? And then it's here. It's it's you're not going to kill Tyrion, okay? But then to have to give the signal to the mountain and you think, oh my gosh, he's going to kill Jamie because that's how yeah. I felt. I was like, this will be the shocking surprise that no one saw coming is Jamie. Me just abruptly dying like this. She gives the signal, and the major head fake is that he, he just, just walks, walks out. out. Yeah, to, okay. to play the frolic, frolic so. in the snow on his way to assisting the bannerman. But th- there are other things that I didn't like. I didn't go out to Arby's today and buy a dozen turkey legs uh, in preparation of Clegane Bowl, <laughs> only to have it as disappointed as uh, the Mayweather McGregor fight. I'm calling this the Mayhound versus the McGregor. Anyway, that's a bad Roger joke. I apologize. <laughs> but, but essentially, it's the same thing as that fight. They just walked up to each other. They stared at each other, like, you know, at the stare down at the weigh-in. He said some shit. The, you know, Zombie Mountain doesn't respond back. And then he just goes and gets the box with the white in it. Like, you could have... You could have done that, I think, a little bit more effectively. The other people are just like, what's going on right now? Why are these, what's up with this guy? Why is he talking to the mountain? What's, uh, you know, people in the background, I, I can only imagine what's going through there in their heads. 
But that was really the only other thing that I didn't like about the scene. Things that I did love about the scene outside of everything we've already talked about. The look on Euron's face when he sees Danny fly in was like, uh, did I? Did I put my money on the wrong horse here? And uh, then Kyburn <laughs> looked like he was rock hard when that when the white came out of the box. He was he was like, oh, that's how you create a zombie. All right. Yeah. Right. I was going to say, like, he's been playing with the mountain and, and creating his creatures down in the lab. But when he saw these things and how it's like, oh, you can dismember them and they still control yeah. their body parts and everything. He was super fascinated. Uh, he looked like that overzealous oh. science teacher you had in the fourth grade. Right. Exactly. A little too excited about this flame and, you know, having it cover with our childish hands. Well, one other thing I would say is with this scene, when you mention the white and you, and you talk about the little PowerPoint presentation that they put <laughs> on here. It was, I I mean, I did give them extra points. It was very well rehearsed for having no time to practice, no extra whites to practice on. Like the presentation was stellar, but it felt a little walking deadish, which was weird because in the show, we've never really seen the whites up that close. And, And what I mean is that we've seen them in these big action scenes. You did have the thousands, tens of thousands of them, if not hundreds of thousands in the last episode. And they're all charging and they're fighting in these big action set pieces. But we're talking about broad daylight. We're talking about one white in the daylight in a very practical setting, whereas usually there's a lot of CG and a lot of effects to kind of dress things up. When we saw this practical effect, so to speak, or this more practical in the light, it just felt a little weird. It looked like a zombie straight out of yeah. The Walking Dead. It just felt very strange for yeah, the show. Yeah, absolutely. It was like it was like medieval times with zombies. Uh, it was, Sam Raimi, Army of Darkness. It was, oh, yeah. it was like Army of Darkness. Oh, That's yeah. what it reminded me of. But yeah, I, you could definitely see Kyburn like salivating. You know, he could be like uh, the the governor's henchman, his, his lackey that he had in what was yeah. that, season three of The Walking Dead when he's like, oh, if you take out the teeth, they can't bite you. And then... Doing all the yeah. experiments on the whites, I I could see I could see an entire episode of Kyburn, you know, doing something like that next season. It might be feeling kind of strange because of how rushed the season's been. I'm trying to figure out exactly why it seems a little odd with with the whites and and them all getting together so quickly. And maybe it's because for six seasons we've heard that winter is coming. We've we've heard about these White Walkers and and the Night King, and we've seen these little glimpses. But it, it seems like they all came together so quickly yeah. and we're just not used to it. The show is turning into something else now. It's like for 60, let's call it for 65 episodes of the show, it's really not been a zombie show. It's been all these people fighting for, over the throne. And now all of a sudden it's like we've got this bigger enemy. We've got we've got to all come together and fight these guys. And now we've only we only have what six episodes six, left? Six, is that what six episodes? Season? Yes, yeah. We've been talking about fighting over the throne for sixty five episodes, and now for the last two episodes and maybe six going forward. So for eight episodes, it seems like the power struggle is really just between the humans and the dead. And so it makes me wonder what kind of show is this going to turn yeah. into? Because how can you how can you battle the army of the dead? How can you protect Westeros from the Night King and his army and have these guys all battle over the throne in six episodes? How I do mean, you do the that? only way that you can do it is make every episode 90 minutes, which is the rumor. But even then... But then are we going to give enough, enough time no, to really wrap this series so. up? Because again, so. we've had six seasons that really have not revolved around the dead. I, again, they've been hinted at. We've gotten more backstory. Obviously, over time, they've been interjecting more and more about them. So we've known they're coming. That's fine. But I guess the main concern I have is there's six episodes left. 
they haven't even started to fight the dead yet that you know at the end of this episode they are just breaching the wall and so now we have six episodes left to defeat them and see who gets the throne and 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 what are we going to see differently that we haven't already seen you know what i mean think of think of a hard home when we first see the mighty force that overtakes john and the wildlings i mean that was a powerful episode that was really truly what we were seeing right and ever since then, it's just been like, oh, you know, fake out death of a couple of uh, whites and, you know, the ice dragon. Even that was at times I was like, oh, so this is so they're unstoppable now. Like, how are we going to defeat them? What's going to be the, if a magic wall can't prevent them when, when they have an ice dragon? What are they going to do? What, what is everyone just going to have dragon glass? We're going to have dragon glass bombs. Is Kyburn going to make up some? dragon glass wildfire concoction down there this is what i'm worried is going to happen is so i talk about how much time is going to be spent fighting these guys and how much time is going to be spent with the happy right. ending you know who's sitting on the throne if there is one the question is it will that we we're presuming they're going to win right like this show Lar- very Margulis. well could be all men must die yeah yeah, right. I mean, this is the Night King and his ice dragon, like you <laughs> mentioned, and we're just presuming that somehow this is what we've built up these characters. And we're like, how are they going to defeat the Night King? And how is Danny going to get sit on the throne with with John, or or how is John going to do it, or them together? And it's like very, they very well could all die, and it could be this terrible sad I'm ending. Okay but, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because I don't would, want this to be, be turned into the game of The Walking Dead. There's already right. a kingdom in The Walking Dead. If you watch The Walking Dead, instead of a ti- instead of a dire wolf, they've got a tiger, and uh, the Great War is already upon them. What I'm worried about though is that we're going to spend. The next six episodes, it's going to be Jon Snow and crew fighting the Night King. And then at the end, you know, maybe Cersei gets knocked off or maybe Cersei saves the day and has her redemption arc. And then they all live happily ever after. You know, it's like there's only six episodes. So are, is it going to be split in half or is it going to be? They're going to be coming. I hope right? so. I hope, well, so, because you think about yeah. it, Game of Thrones does have a killing problem. When you look back at the previous seasons and you compare it to this season, who really died of consequence this episode? Or even if you look back at the, the the seven episodes, who really... You have Uncle Benjen, right? You have Baelish, Peter Baelish. I'd say he was probably the only... That's the, that's big, the big one, one. right? That's, the, that's, the, that's big the big one. That was the surprise death. So they faked us out on Tyrion. They faked us out on Jamie, which I'm okay with. I want them yeah. to both live. In the back of my mind, I had this small little inkling that maybe Littlefinger would be sitting on the Iron Throne at the end of the series. I mean, he's been there since the very beginning. He's been so manipulative. And I don't know who has really played the game more than him because as they kind of refreshed our memory, he pretty much started this whole thing. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, I think there's... Brand creeping out on the tower, uh, checking out some, some, <laughs> some, some incest in Westeros. I think that's really what set forth the. the but you're right, Littlefinger. You know, I had been going along with this theory that that Littlefinger was the Snape of Westeros, right? If you maybe his intentions were good, but he went around it in in you know a Snape kind of manner, and just the fact that sometimes he had a creepy English accent or slightly American or occasionally Irish. It was always creepy, right? But he was the more interesting characters in the show. And I feel that the show will suffer without him because like myself, I can't be the only one. There have to be Peter Baelish Littlefinger fans. He was another one of those people that from the beginning, even though he would be creepy at times, like you said, I didn't agree with all of his decisions, but you had to give him credit just like you have to give Cersei credit. 
you have to recognize the accomplishments and the achievements that Littlefinger had over this series. And what I was referring to about starting all this is that they even said it in this episode is that he is the one that pitted the Starks against the Lannisters. Right. Oh, yeah. He, he was the one that, that formulated that from the beginning. So he set things into motion of why the houses were at war in the first place. And so he's been interjecting his will and in, into this Game of Thrones and playing the game behind everyone's backs. And he's been so good at it. And to see him gone, it, it is a little sad because you always look forward to what right. is he up to? What is his next move? And he couldn't even see what was happening. He's the master of deception. And, he and here he was played by these Stark right. girls. I feel like he deserved a better lawyer representation, right? Because, I mean, I, I assume Bran finally decided to use his powers for good instead of instead of being a, <laughs> instead of being a super creep, right? Because but, but is that another representation of clumsy writing? Well, that's the, well. That's what I was just going to ask you because, again, what are the rules? What are the rules that we've established in this series so far? When you accuse someone of murder, you get to defend yourself, and you get a trial by combat. You can always request yeah, a trial by combat. Where the fuck is combat, the trial right? by combat? Tyrion got a trial by combat. They've done this at the Vale, involving these same <laughs> characters. Right. We've had trial by combats, right? So in this one, the Lady of Winterfell, Sansa, who is one of my least favorite characters in the show. I know some people love her, some people hate her. Arya is my is my girl. Uh, Arya it's, is it's tough star. to be upset at that red hair, though. I know, so I know, beautiful. but it just uh, she's made so many decisions, and I know that she's suffered. So I, you know, again, I, I understand what she's right. been through and all that. I think it, it all started back in the beginning when she betrayed her family, and just like Arya said, she, she always wanted to be the lady. Very annoying when she was in love with Joffrey. That was like, yes, she, it's it's painful to watch the first couple of seasons when Joffrey is. Still it around. is. Go back if if you're one of the uh, defend the Sansa yeah. defenders that is like, oh, but she's been through so much and all that. I get it. Go back and watch season one when she is the girl that that Arya alludes to that always wants to wear the yep. pretty dresses and wants to That's be right. the queen and wants to marry the prince. It, it, go back and watch that girl. And I think that I've just never been able to get over how bad Sophie Turner's fine, it's but it's the character. The whole point is that everyone gets a trial by combat when they're accused of things. And I thought it was a little odd the way that, that Sansa just sentenced him to death and why didn't he get the trial? Not only combat? that, but like what led up to Sansa fully understanding it? Because just last episode, it seemed like, the, you know, Arya and Sansa were, you know, one step away from killing each other. Right. And even in this, it is a possible Sansa only figured it out once Littlefinger asked her what Arya would have to gain by her death. And then she realized that by killing Sansa, Arya would be Lady of Winterfell and Sansa knew Arya never wanted to be Lady. Is that what we're supposed to believe? Like that whole interaction is when Sansa realized that Littlefinger was up to no good? It started off when Arya showed up in Winterfell as to what was going on here. Are, is, is Arya really at odds with Sansa, or are they working together? Right. Are they? Is this going to be a, a double cross on Baelish, which, of course, it ended up being? So the question for the last couple episodes has been on my mind, and I'm not really sure where the turning point was, but last episode especially, whenever they were discovering the note, quote-unquote, that Baelish wanted her to find, and when they were at odds, quote unquote, together, it started to kind of seem like, OK, they're fighting a little too much. This seems a little bit too manipulative. And I think this is going to backfire. So it's, it's just hard to say when did they actually start working together as opposed to when were they really at odds? 
And even if they did just figure it out with this conversation that happened this episode, you're right. That's very quick for her to figure it all out and then decide that they need yeah. to kill him. It just it just yeah. seems really the quick. whole plan is we're going to put you on trial, but then I'm going to say something that's ambiguous and we're all going to look at Baelish together. All right. Yeah. It's a little too. I, well, well I, I said I said it. I, I couldn't help but to basically say the script out loud <laughs> uh, because you knew exactly what was happened when she says, how do you you know, how do you uh, what do you think of these accusations? Lord Baelish, and you know, I, I, I just knew it. I'm like, you know, Arya, they, this is so going to be a, a, a double cross, and you know, it was just a little predictable. But again, I get it. If you want to accuse him, and you figure out that he was turning the girls against each other, that's fine. But if this is a trial, it seemed a little too cutesy. It was a little too clever, so to speak, but not really the way that it's like, yeah, you want to kill this this guy and get revenge for all the bad things he's done, but. If this is a trial, I just don't think that you'd handle it like that. So it was just kind of like, again, one of those have your cake yeah. and eat it, too. Well, a lot of people were comparing it, it to just... the Bernard in Westworld moment, right? When he's when he's down, oh, yeah. he sees the body, and he looks at the blueprints. And people are saying, well, she needed to, you know, Sansa needed to f- figure out Arya's true intentions and make sure that the Knights of the Vale were loyal to her. I get it, but are are we doing mental gymnastics? Are we writing fan fiction to fill in the gaps of what the story write or the showrunners and and the producers uh, have left out or have have purposely left wide open for whatever reason? Well, and I think this is again this is another result of the expedited season. They're they're rushing things along. I'm fine with him dying. But I just feel like, again, we could have used another episode or two where maybe it was wrapped up a little bit better with some better writing and maybe he dies in a more dramatic way instead of what I felt was kind of anticlimactic. Yeah, you got Arya with a badass kill moment and he got his. But I just feel like Baelish deserved a better death than that. I do too. Yeah, I was like, come on, Baelish. Stand up like a man. You know what I mean? Like at least take it like Catelyn Stark did. Because I I felt like that was, you know, kind of a, a poetic rhyming justice to the way that Littlefinger died, the, the way that he went out very similar to the the, the woman he claimed to have loved, right? Just a, 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 yeah. you know, a, a slit across the throat by the cat's paw dagger, which obviously set forth all this in motion. I do say for every Littlefinger death, there's too many death fake outs. We already talked about Tyrion. We already talked about Jamie. Kudos to Jamie for having balls of gold, for calling Cersei's bluff there. Uh, will Cersei truly have the cojones to really kill people like Tyrion or Jaime next season? We'll see. But one of the cool things that we kind of skipped over as they're going into King's Landing, they pass by the Dragon's Pit. Now, this is one of the cooler things because what I love best about doing podcasts for shows is when they mention something that you kind of have to do some homework on it. And Tyrion talks about Balerion, who is also known as the Black Dread. Who is Balerion? It's interesting that Aegon, the first Aegon, he was one of the three dragons of his. So it kind of mirrors what Daenerys is doing. Daenerys has the three dragons, like Aegon had the three, and Balerion was the largest of the dragons. And so the, Tyrion mentions that this place must have been terrifying when the people of King's Landing, which was named for Aegon, when they were anywhere near this pit or or where the dragons were, you had these huge creatures flying around, and they talk about you can't 
control who a dragon right. wants to eat or what a dragon wants to destroy. And so it would have really been a terrifying time to live with these three huge dragons right. roaming and around. They, so doing some homework, I found out that Balerion was the largest of all the Targaryen dragons, as you mentioned. He's described as having a wingspan so vast that entire towns would fall under his shadow when he passed overhead. And if you recall back from, um, I'm not sure which episode it was earlier this season, but when Cersei is down with Kyburn in the crypts, the the Balerion skull is the skull that he shoots the scorpion's spear into, into the head. So that's actually Balerion's skull. And that's what I I didn't realize, that that was actually him. I knew it was one of the, the huge dragons from the past, but it was really interesting. I liked the way that they revealed that skull, and it really gave scale to how big Balerion was. Because if you remember from that scene, when you look at Cersei and, and Kyburn, I think, down in that crypt, and how That's small right. they were in comparison to that skull, and to think about how large those dragons were. And uh, I don't believe Daenerys' dragons are done growing, That I would think they would eventually get to that size. But right now, as menacing as they are, they are not as big as Balerion That's right. was. That's right. Now, as explained by Daenerys, dragons seem to be like great white sharks, right? They don't do very well in captivity, and they grow only as large as whatever the environment that they're trapped in. So by the end of the Dragon Age of the Targaryens, the dragons were no larger than small sickly dogs, which yeah. I guess uh, lends credence to the fact that I call my two 12-pound rescue dogs Albert and Pippa my dragons, right? So they're roughly the same size of oh, Albert and Pippa. Oh, there you go. But yeah, Balerion, uh, the dread. So there's a little there's a little podcast knowledge for you, so you don't have to go searching the internet. Balerion was also the dragon that Aegon used to destroy Harrenhal, that old beautiful castle that's uh, you know half-built today. So maybe one of the spinoffs they're talking That's about right. there could be what eight Game of Thrones <laughs> right. spinoffs, maybe a, a prequel with oh, uh, Balerion and and following his adventures. Yeah. I think there's also more to this story when later we find out. Obviously, Jon Snow's real name is Aegon, Aegon Balerion, yes. the poetic George Lucas prequels versus the the, the you know the originals uh, it has to rhyme right one of the longest standing fan theories that was answered recently was that r plus l right. equals j so people figured out before they revealed it on the show that Rhaegar and Lyanna Stark were John's parents and it's been everything but confirmed we we know that when Bran goes and he does his creep in <laughs> on his dad at the tower we're like boom that confirmed the theory but this this really nails it this this drives it home Bran talks to Sam and he's like yeah uh we need i need to tell john that my father is not his father and he comes right out and says it that he's a targaryen and now we know that uh, the real theory like you said is r plus l equals a his Aegon. name is Aegon. And he is what? This is like the fourteenth Aegon in the history of the Targaryens. According to Redditor uh, Talent, um, they write all hail Aegon of the House Targaryen, the twelfth of his name, the Resurrected, the King of the Andals, the Royner, and the First Men, King of the North, the nine hundred ninety eighth Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, Protector of the Realm, Lord Regnant of the Seven Kingdoms, the Prince that was promised, and Azor Ahai come again and then don't forget at the end you've got to have sir davos coming out and going or aka johnson but you know if it's one thing we talk about the jetpacking around westeros we talk about all the 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 plot holes that you could literally have a truck in the background drive-through and they did this season but if there's one thing that they're nailing it's the fact that they're making this whole family intercourse thing 
seem kind of attractive. Uh, according to Vanquish421 on Reddit, Westeros, it's more like Incesteros. Am I right? You know, I mean, this is this is a different time. It's, it's really interesting. So uh, over on Real Spoilers, the episode of the week, we go into this whole discussion about cousins and can they legally be married? So it's very weird in one day to do two podcasts <laughs> that have these incestuous right. topics. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is a different time if you think about medieval times and the lineage of, of people back sure. in the olden days and people trying to keep the royal bloodlines and all that. I mean, it was obviously a lot more of a common practice than it is today. But this is Aegon or Jon Snow. Him and his aunt actually finally get it on in this episode. And it, it, you have to separate yourself from us in present day and how things were done back then because the Targaryens were known to keep it in the bloodline and it was common practice. So you have to say, is this weird or is it common enough and we just have to be okay with yeah. this? You know, it's just well, a weird the Game thing of Thrones would show two people having sex while a third party reveals that they're related in the background. You know what I mean? Like, according <laughs> to the, the Bachman on Reddit, the, his tinfoil theory is uh, George R. R. Martin's ultimate goal was uh, in, in writing game of thrones was to normalize incest in modern society which i think he's doing a pretty effective job of if you look at some of the protests that are going on some of those people but the fact that uh, okay so let's talk about this so bran he's a little I, i've comically called him dr bran hatton and i think other people have as well because this, he's like the ultimate game of thrones fan he's like i know everything there's nothing you could tell me that i don't know about the game of thrones i've read all the books and I've seen all the shows. I think I think it's a good podcasts. It's a good Reddit, <laughs> and I've gone to YouTube and I have my own YouTube channel. There's nothing you couldn't possibly tell me that I don't already know. And then Samuel comes in. He's like, "Well, do you know about this?" He's like, "What? No, I must have missed that. I missed that episode. I gotta go back and watch it. I got on TVR. I, I was gonna watch it, and then I got busy. It's but like good, you know what I mean. Like that's, that's what that, happened there. Yeah, right. No, that was a little weird. I was gonna say first of all. I really like your parallel to Dr. Manhattan because it, it really, and if you watch Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan with this power and this knowledge and responsibility, he becomes numb right. to everyday human interactions and emotions. And so he's this all-knowing, all-powerful being. And so when people try to interact with him, it just he's just very monotone and he knows everything that's going to happen. And that is exactly how Bran is. He's all-knowing. He, he knows he's, everything. He's beyond the trivial he's just to, reality of human existence. Exactly. And his conversations, if you go back to the last episode when he's talking to Arya and he's talking to Sansa, he, he explains that more in depth. And so, yeah, I did find it interesting that he knows all this stuff, but uh, then he still calls Jon Snow a bastard. And he says that he's really Aegon Sand because that's what the Targaryens call the bastard. And Samuel's like, no, I would, me and Gilly were reading this, uh, you know, diary of the Maester. And yeah, and, uh, no, no, he had an annulment and they wrapped it up real nice there. And, and he's like, I gotta go okay. back. I gotta watch that scene again. It's a little, it's a little too on the nose. It's a little, again, it's a giant plot hole that why wouldn't he already know this? Or if he suspects that there's something more to this relationship. Why wouldn't he just continue to look into it, right? I feel like Bran continues to be that creepy guy in the corner, though. You know, next season, I'm sure he's going to have the conversation with John when they finally meet back up again. He's like, he's going to do that creepy <laughs> Bran thing where he looks at you dead face in the eye and he's like, I saw your parents make you Aegon. It was beautiful. 
<laughs> or or John, your your hair looked beautiful while you and yeah, Daenerys were, were yeah, uh, exactly. hooking up on the exactly. boat. You yeah, know, if you like, had the power to go back and watch everyone have sex in history, <laughs> why would you choose your immediate family members first? You know what I mean? Like like maybe after you've watched everyone else. I mean, maybe if you're curious, I get it. But like, are we really surprised that Bran is a creep? The fact that his, you know, his climbing hey, the tower windows to sneak a peek is what caused this whole drama in the first place. I, I was just, I was just about <laughs> to say the same thing that he's had a very traumatic childhood, and you have to remember what he's doing right. in his free time. And really, it's funny when we talk about this. We've talked, we've talked about Baelish causing all of this stuff. We've talked about Jamie causing all of this stuff. But you know who really started all this? Is yeah, it Bran's fault, creeper. or is it you know a little prepubescent <laughs> so, sneaker looking in windows? I'm not saying that I used to do it, but I may or may not have had a stern talking to by a constable in my neighborhood. So are we saying that this whole story is really this is like it's an Aesop's fable right. of it's goofus versus you, you, sh- you should not you know what I mean? Yeah, you sh- you shouldn't be a creeper. I Don't like be a peeping tom, and none of this will happen. The world <laughs> will not be consumed by the dead. Your you know your your family won't die and get into a war with these other seven kingdoms. That's right. Uh, just don't well, be. A I mean, you talk about creepers. What is Tyrion doing in the house? Uh, you know, in the hallway outside. Uh, John and Daenerys getting it on. <laughs> I haven't expected Jorah to come around the corner and start listening too. You know, I mean, the two friend zones, bros, chilling out and creeping. I know. You know they hear them getting on well what do you think that meant because that really i could understand Tyrion like walking down the hallway and then being like okay so yeah they did hook up i guess i guess we're kind of solidifying this relationship i'm glad these two are together and then turning around but they cut back to him during the sex scene like three times and he just stood there and so i was trying to figure out is there more meaning to that is he just solidifying what he thought was going to happen or did he have some kind of feelings which I never really got any kind of a romantic thing like with Jorah and Daenerys yes absolutely but now with Tyrion so what did that mean that's a good question it looked like he was scared that it was happening he looked like Hmm. he looked like he should know that they're related but doesn't want to say anything to screw it up I don't know Hmm. what is going on but there's definitely something to that there was no, like, I would have expected maybe a smile because, again, he was the that one kind of, yeah. really pushing to exactly. bring these two together. So I could understand if he was like, oh, okay, good, my plan worked, or oh, it looks like they're getting along again quite well. But there was really no reaction. His face was, like you said, it was more scared or more serious. And so the fact that they cut back to him several times, it really felt like they wanted us to see that reaction. But I right. don't know well, what the Tyrion reaction was. Well, Tyrion also still thinks that Cersei is going to come to battle for them but then afterwards mm-hmm. he Tyrion's still going to have to pick a side because I think at the yeah. one theory might be now that they have consummated the relationship there's no going back and so Tyrion is still stuck in the middle right. of these two houses right house Targaryen Stark and what house do you Lannister. think we don't want to go too far past this episode we're just trying to really sure. summarize the finale but what we have to think of and maybe to talk about on the next episode is once they find out their lineage, once once you know Daenerys and John or Aegon figure out who they really are, but then also the line of succession with Aegon actually being Correct. the rightful heir to the throne, what does that mean for John and Daenerys' relationship? I, Is that I what they're that trying to set us up for? Thing. Are they making it too cutesy? And I mean, this this relationship and build up and finally them having sex—is that all just to have a fight later on down the road and contention? 
or are they going to work it out? Are we going to see somehow them both ruling simultaneously? And it's just it's interesting to think about yeah, how this is going to go down. It's a little too cutesy for them to continue on with it. So there definitely has to be some sort of drama. I don't have any bold predictions, uh, so to speak, but yeah. a lot of people have hypothesized that the Targaryen, because there was Targaryen incest in the family, that uh, he will revitalize her uh, cursed womb and they'll be able to make a baby together. I don't know if that's uh, if that's really truly going to happen or not. I made the joke on Twitter, and yes, I understand that Danny is not Bran's aunt. What I meant to say is Bran is watching his cousin, because Bran is Jon's cousin. Lyanna, oh, right. Right, yeah, biologically. biologically. So he had to find out. He had to find yeah, out that uh, yeah. that that they're cousins by watching Rhaegar and Lyanna do it, right? So, so Bran was right. watching and, his and the other thing and is- uncle do it, which then gave birth to John. So I was talking about Lyanna and and Rhaegar, yeah. not not right, John right, right. and Danny. I guess the other thing that I should mention too, and just right. as a, a little omission from earlier, is when I was talking about John being a Stark as well. Well, since That's Lyanna right. is a Stark. Technically, he, he is half Stark, so I just meant that right. Ned line, isn't his line father, of succession, though, right? Yeah, if He's we, if we believe that it's English succession, it goes with the, the father's seed, right? It, it goes the way of the father. So yeah, Exactly. So Targaryen. he's a Targaryen, and, and, by, and by marriage that we found out, thank, yep. thanks to Sam, is that he is a Targaryen, a true Targaryen by marriage, by his parents, but he's also a Stark. He's half a Stark by blood. And even though Ned isn't his biological father, he is his adoptive father. It, just in a different way, instead of being Ned's bastard son, it, he is the real son of Ned's sister. So it's kind of interesting how it came back around, whereas he's right. still half Stark That's right. it's like the, in the yeah. end. So. You talk about bastards on the show. I brought up the question while I was watching the whole Theon fight club scene. I, I kept thinking to myself, <laughs> and I think I, I texted you, how many times do they need to redeem this character? Right. You know, I, I, do they need this to again, you know, through the whole reek coming of a, you know, fighting through all that and then being redeemed by saving Sansa and, you know, going back and bending the knee to Yara and saying, I've changed. I'm a changed man. And then he's cowardice, you know, sets up Yara to be captured by Euron. And now all of a sudden he's going to grow his balls back again. But his lack of balls help him win this fight. Like I was like, really? Come on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. He's had a lot of redemption arcs, and some of them have worked, some haven't. And I think I think that it's on purpose by the writers in some places where it really was effective. So, for instance, with Sansa, he saved her. That was his redemption. So he went from Reek, he saved Sansa, and kind of made up for when he took over sure. a Winterfell and was a huge jerk. So that was good at that point, but he was still Reek mentally. But then later on, you kind of thought he was going to come back because with Yara, she told him that, you know, he's still a Greyjoy and and to toughen up. And just because he lost his unit doesn't mean that he's not a man. And they have this whole thing and you think he's going to live up to it. But then later he jumps ship against Euron because and, and of who can blame the guy? Like, I mean, it doesn't even matter what he's been through. Like you're talking about Euron and an elite force of fighters that have taken out your ship and, and all of your people. You can't blame the guy. But then on top of that, all the stuff that sure. Ramsey put him through, the guy has PTSD. So I totally get it. But a lot of people said he failed you know, to live up to his redemption. Sure. He should have saved the day and fought, but he was a coward. I even get that one. 
But then this comes back around and he's standing up and and you think he's going to get his redemption again here. But ultimately, what I think it's going to come down to is he has to die. He should have died already. But I think that's the only way to really redeem him is he has to make the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to gather these troops. He's going to go and save Yara. And in the process, I think he's going to have to die, but but to go out a hero. I think, and the reason that I think that's going to happen and what solidifies it is John forgiving him in that scene in this episode. They've made their peace with each other. John says, I can't forgive you for everything, but I do forgive you for everything that I can. And I think that was really nice to to kind of speak his peace. And now he's going to go out and, and ride off to battle and hopefully save his sister and, and redeem himself. And that be the end of it. That's right. No let's more not theon. have him go and try no to save theon. her. And then, yeah, I mean, let's not do this again. We don't want him to go try to live up to Euron, but then he wimps <laughs> out, right. but then he's taken hostage and then he's reek again. Yeah, like, exactly. No, no, People no, are calling no. it the Peggy Hill. It's the move uh, uh, coined after the episode of King of the Hill where Bobby takes a woman's self-defense class and proceeds to go around kicking everyone in the groin saying, don't take my purse. And he does it to the mom. Obviously, the mom doesn't have uh, the same organs uh, similar to Theon. So that's the that's the Peggy Hill move is when you when you're getting continuously kicked in the nether regions. Uh, but you got nothing down there to to so you can take as many blows as you want for a show as smart as uh, we really want Game of Thrones to be. For them to for them to throw in that, I mean, come on, it's a little, yeah, really. It was effective though. I think I think it was effective. I mean, it, it's a it may seem a little it's silly, a but back for sure. But I mean, it felt like it felt like a George yeah. R. R. Martin fart joke. Like this show has so many jo- <laughs> toilet has so much toilet humor for a show that's supposed to be brilliant writing and the best ever show. Certainly has a lot of fart jokes. That's all I'm saying. The one thing that I think it was really trying to do with that scene though was to reassure Theon that's supposed to show the character that even though he's lost his unit and lost his balls, that that's he right. still can fight and he's still a man. So so I think by showing it that he essentially won the yeah. fight because he lost it, I think I think that was like an empowering yeah. move for him. So I think it's a little bit above just a, a cheap joke because it was a, a, a real character. Uh, right. you know, One thing I also like about that, that scene point. is they, they perfectly depicted what it's actually like to fight on a beach. Now, I've never gotten into a, a fight on a beach, let alone a, a fight in real life, but I have seen people fight on a beach. And if you really want to tire yourself out, do any activity on the beach. Uh, but I liked how the I, and I forget the character's <laughs> name that he's fighting that Theon is fighting with. Uh, but he's like all winded out because, again, you're trying to fight in sand and it's wet and you can't really move as fast. And you just you, it tires you out really quickly. So whatever his name was, it was not cardio. <laughs> that's for sure. Snow has finally come to King's Landing. What does this mean? Are we getting a Christmas special? <laughs> well, I hope it's better than the Star Wars Christmas special, if we are. <laughs> if right. you've ever That's had to right. sit through that travesty. It's uh, going to be like Doctor Who. We're going to get a, uh, we're gonna get a Game of Thrones Christmas special every, every December. <laughs> there you go. But this is, I think we mentioned it earlier, but if you go back to the very first season, Ned says that it's been summer for nine years. And, and so the show hasn't been on quite that long. We've seen King's Landing be this beautiful place where it's always sunny and and it's nice weather and this is the first time that we've seen it snow there so it's a big deal and they keep talking about winter is coming i mean literally winter is here they're they're down south and they've got snow now it's interesting that you say that because winter actually came to the real life king's landing which is in serbia for the first time in eight years the city actually experienced snow in 2017 so winter truly is here in real life and in fantasy but 
one of the questions that I we we've been talking back and forth is when Jamie is on horseback and he's left Cersei, uh, he's he's left the Red Keep and he's on his horse to meet his bannerman. He sees the snow falling onto his gold fake hand, and he's as he's putting the glove on, he kind of has a moment where he stares off into space as he's seeing the snowfall, and then it and then it cuts and the horse is riding back almost kind of in the other from, from right to left versus when we first saw him, he was riding left to right. So did Jamie turn around or did he continue on? Well, I think the question you have to ask yourself, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, what is Jamie doing? Because he basically told Cersei that he's going to go travel north and, and fight and bring the army there because that's what he made a promise to do. But Cersei isn't sending the army. So, was Jamie just going north to fight by himself at this point? Like, what is Jamie's strategy from here on? Yeah. I, I, what exactly? What's he doing out by himself when he found the snow? Where was he heading? And so, yeah, what happened to all of his other guys that he was hanging out with uh, when his sister comes up and he's like, uh, she's like, uh, can I can I talk to you a little bit alone? Like, I could almost hear the other guys just like snickering in the background. They're like, oh, we know what that means. <laughs> they're gonna do it because you know everyone knows that they're doing it. Like, oh yeah, it's, it's not even a secret. Open. Yeah, it's not even, it's a, not secret even a secret anymore. anymore. Yeah, but so, so I don't know if Jamie is supposed to be having a crisis of faith here, and so That's right. I can't even really answer if he turned around or what he was doing because it seemed like he was heading out. But again, he doesn't have the army, so who is he really siding with here? And right. has he already made up in his mind? Was the turning point for Jamie when Cersei basically said that she was okay with having him killed? Is he now against Cersei? Has he finally broken her spell that she's had over him? That's right. That's right. I mean, I think, you know, I've predicted that the scene that mirrors how he became the Kingslayer to begin with was very similar. I think that we were trying to invoke that episode five when he's riding the horse towards Daenerys. Oh, sure. Like that was supposed to invoke memories of how he became the Kingslayer. I think that he will fulfill the Valonqar prophecy by killing Cersei, but that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother. <laughs> Absolutely. The last topic before we wrap up with some questions is the sentence that Sansa says to Arya that we've heard it before. The lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. What does that mean in, in your opinion? And what impact does that have on the show? Like there've been so many rumors and so much talk about this on Twitter and Reddit and everywhere, YouTube, Facebook about this lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. What does that mean? I think that they're solidifying, I think in the most obvious form here, the obvious explanation is that the Starks have to band together. They can't fight amongst themselves. And if they're going to fight this greater battle with the whites out there and the night King, they need to stay as a pack. And so Arya and Sansa and Jon, they all have to work together instead of this squabbling they've been doing and Sansa calling out Jon in front of all his men and making him look like a weak ruler. And then Sansa arguing with Arya because she thinks that she wants to be the Lady of Winterfell. I think that they're basically trying to tell us that, okay, we've got six episodes left. We're not going to spend them with all the Stark squabbling amongst themselves. I think right. I think we're getting past that. It's the end of the whole inner fighting relationship. They're on the same page now. Now, let's go fight these White Walkers and hopefully not spend five or five and a half episodes doing it because <laughs> we need to settle who is the true king or queen of Westeros. Yeah, I, th I think that's the right answer, right? Because if you look at all the other Starks that have died, you, you, Ned Stark, he went out on his own. 
from the family down to King's Landing and was, you know, effectively became a prisoner. You look at Rob Stark went out on his own without the rest of his pack. It was just he and his mom and they obviously were killed at the the Red Wedding. Benjen out on his own passed away as well. Rickon, you know, again, you split up the pack you can't, as a cohesive unit, fight together, and so I, I think it's a, you know, it's almost, it's almost like the, you know, Occam's razor here. Where the most simplest answer is usually the correct one here. Eddard Stark, I think, in the book says uh, uh, the whole quote is, "Let me tell you something about Wolves Child." When he's talking to Arya, when the snow falls and the white winds blow, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Summer is the time for squabbles. In winter, we must protect one another, keep each other warm, share our strength. So, if you must hate Arya, hate those who would truly do us harm. Septimore Dane is a good woman, and Sansa, Sansa's your sister. You may be as different as the sun and the moon, but the same blood flows through your hearts. You need her, she needs you, and I need both of you. God's help me. It's it's just the end of the squabbling between them, because that's what they've been doing, and it's kind of one of those things that makes you want to yell at your TV when you see all of them fighting among each other. When Jon Snow is talking to the Car Starks and talking to all his people at Winterfell, and he is trying to be a ruler and be diplomatic and make the right decisions. And Sansa's questioning his every move. And I was yelling at the TV. And That's I'm like, right. he's the king. You can't call him out in front of his people. You do that in private. And I'm so glad the writers did a good job here. And, and John actually calls her out and says, don't do that in, in front of my people. you know. And, and so, again, that shows Sansa's inability to rule and to be diplomatic and smart about it. And so you've seen them squabble. We've seen Arya and Sansa for, I think, three episodes now since she's got back to Winterfell. Things have been kind of rocky between them. And it's like... Come on, kids. Ned is up there looking down at them, you know, and he's just like, stop Literally, fighting among each other. On the, on the right in the right pike, yeah. But it's like, yeah, it's like, remember what I told you? Like, stop <laughs> fighting among yourself. I feel like Winter there, is here. I feel like there's to be like a VH1 pop up video for Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, that just pops up. Remember when Ned Stark said this? <laughs> We've talked a lot about this episode. We talked a lot about, you know, the, the episodes leading up to this. We talked a lot about season seven overall as, as a whole, but. When you look back, and we'll close up the show with asking these this question overall, whose plot point, which character, was not effectively wrapped up in your mind, or, or which questions were not fully answered for you? I'll give you an example. I'll start off. Uh, Sir Beric and Dormant. You have to assume they're still alive according to these new Game of Thrones Season 7 rules, correct? Yeah, I, I think so, absolutely. And I think that we'll see them again next season. It, it's going to be one of those uh, Uncle Benjamin moments, I, I can almost predict, is that they're going to have to save the day just when we've forgotten about them. Right. So, I mean, the last time we saw Sir Beric and, and Tormund, they were trying to escape the, the falling wall. That's all happening. Yeah. But we didn't see them die. We saw other red shirts die right. on the wall, but definitely not them. No, and, and they, they wouldn't be killed off that easily they're not a throwaway like that i mean there's no way they're going to kill off two characters like that because oh we saw the wall destroyed and they were there so yeah they're just collateral damage talking about staying up uh, in the north the wall wasn't it supposed to be magic what kind of magic wall falls to an ice dragon I don't know if it is actually magic or is that something that's been lost in translation? You have this wall that's 300 miles long and 700 feet high. Do the people think that this wall has to be magic because it's so big and how would anyone ever build that? Or is it actually magic? Right. Real magic. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not sure if it's if it is or not. So it's like lore. It's like, uh, obviously, it was, it was constructed 8,000 years before the events that are currently taking place in this 
iteration of Game of Thrones after the Long Night. That was the last time the White Walkers went to war with humanity. So I guess just like any other stories in history, it gets passed down through verbal and it gets translated into different languages and some things it's get It's like lost. the game with the cups That's and the right. string it's, when you yeah, tell, tell a friend like and then you tell a friend like and then... you went to camp, it, yeah, and you had to play in... Yeah. Right, exactly. At the, <laughs> at the end, it's like you've got a completely different story with different characters and nothing is the same right. as it started. The last scene of the episode, which is the last scene of the season, is that the wall is down. The, is the down. Night King... The Eastwatch. The Night King is riding the dragon. That's right. It's, it's, it was a really cool scene. I'm glad that we saw that. We knew by the end of the last episode that uh, we had some kind of an ice dragon or, you know, a white dragon, uh, not a white walker, a white flyer, <laughs> whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to call this thing. We knew that it, it had, you know, we knew that it was turned, but what would its abilities be? And now we see that it has, is it, is it blue flame blue or flame. is it actually ice? I think it's Okay, it looked like flame, right? So my question was now, is it still going to have the fire ability or will it actually breathe some kind of ice or frost? But it looks like they went with blue flame. It was a really cool effect. And we got to see the Night King riding a dragon like Daenerys does. And I thought it was pretty badass. What did you think? I think it was good. But do you believe in this whole fan theory that Bran is the Night King or Bran is somehow controlling the Night King? I don't know. It's weird because if Bran... What what is he? I know that there's lots of theories, but what would he be trying to accomplish, and why would he be going about it this way? People think that he's maybe warged into the Night King, but got trapped. So, yeah. So there. Which the, I know we need to do a whole other episode on theories. Yeah, we can't go the, into the, it. The but the theory, is, in its most simplest simplistic, is that the the time narration is a closed loop that Bran is witnessing. And Bran has witnessed the future of him, which is the past. I don't know. I lose my mind every oh, yeah, it, again. We'll have to yeah. When it comes to time travel and loops, in my head. And, and in the same way that like Hodor makes sense, I guess is what they yeah. they say, and it goes along with the theory of the fact that Bran may have warged into the Mad King's head. And said, burn them all, when he really meant to burn all the whites and white walkers. Hmm. Yeah, so there's all these theories. But anyway, I I don't believe, I don't subscribe to it. Uh, the Bran is the Night King, so I don't believe that the Night King is being controlled by Bran. So that he can lead his army of white walkers and the dead to John's aid to make him the rightful heir on the throne. I don't think that's happening. I, 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 yeah, well, I I think that if, if that's the twist, if that's the big reveal, then it's going to open up so much discussion about bad writing, like we said before. Because it's like, maybe they should have communicated a little better. One, like, one when they're troll. on that battlefield and there's spears being thrown at dragons and things like that. And, and the, the Night King is just, like, looking at John and he's just looking at Sam in previous episodes and it's like maybe he should have had some communication right. it's there's gonna be so many unanswered questions if that's really burned right. in there I just I don't know I guess the most glaring piece of evidence is that they've changed the appearance of the Night King slightly over the seasons and I don't know if you've gone back and looked at what the Night King used to look like but when you look at him now he does have the oh, similar God, features like the face shape the oh. nose it's it's like 
They've changed it, and if it's a coincidence, it is weird that now they changed his nose, and the nose is the same shape as Brand's. That's just a weird coincidence. I feel coincidence. like we're back in Westworld, and we're looking at young, uh, <laughs> young Jimmy Simpson versus Ed, Ed Harris. Harris. Thank you. Where's the mole? Is it on right. the right <laughs> side? Is the mole? Where is it? I know. It can't, oh my gosh! But you know what? Black, he has no mole. But you know what? What I think makes these shows so fun to watch, and why Westworld is such a great show to watch and discuss. What Game of Thrones is great for, and also Mr. Robot, which you know we're leaning towards talking about that for for the next full season yeah. show that we talk about. These shows that you can dissect and come up with your own theories, as crazy as they might be, or as perfectly sane as they might sound. That's the fun of these shows. And before Westworld, before Game of Thrones, the first show I ever did this with back on the forums in the old days was Lost. Yeah. It was oh, yeah. it was the most fun show to watch, and it wasn't because it was perfect. It was because week to week you discussed it with people and came up with your theories, and there was the whole mystery behind it. And I love how that show started, that whole revolution of coming up with theories, and some people got them right, and some people are wildly wrong, and, and it's fun to joke about how, how wrong or right they right. were, and I really like that, as crazy as some of the theories are. It's a great some discussion. Some of the other questions that are coming in from the internet is, uh, where is Ghost? I think the last time we saw Ghost, he was at Castle Black, right? Yeah, and ran off into the night, and we haven't seen yeah. him. I, 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 uh, I really hope this isn't one of those things where they just totally write him off they, they, I, I'm they, gonna, go, they ghost they ghost, ghost yeah right <laughs> i i just don't want it to end up and i'm gonna since i just mentioned lost it's fresh on my mind i i you know i loved lost it was a great experience hated the ending so many unanswered questions it was a fun ride to take and i really hope this show doesn't do things like that where after the finale the the series finale we're asking hey where was ghost right. you know i don't want that not that that's the most important or the biggest question we would have but I don't want a bunch of stuff like that where we're just like, oh, hey, yeah, remember this or remember this smoke monster thing? And where are where are all these things? Why do you know, they have so, a polar bear? Right. Exactly. And oh, th- that was the other thing about Game of Thrones again. Yeah. Right. It's like it's like that was that was the first thing I thought of was lost. Yeah, exactly. Right. And when you saw a polar bear, I'm like, that has to be some kind of a wink and of nod course. to lost when a polar bear showed up on the tropical 100%. island. Like other uh, characters, uh, Gendry. We basically the entire story arc of this bastard, literally, because he is a bastard, has been that he can run very fast. That's all it was built up to. Uh, I hope that's not the case. I really hope they explore this character a little bit more. Don't you think that after six seasons of rowing that his cardio would be top notch? I mean, we, we talk about the writing and arms. Deus Ex Machina. He would have arms. I mean, he would have the, just the giant <laughs> forearms. That's all he would have. Right. But if there's one if there's one thing that's believable out of all the Deus Ex Machina in that last episode, his cardio game, and he, he is in great on, shape listen, after all that. They're rolling, walking so. everywhere. Okay. Like, it's hard to yeah. be fat in Westeros. Don't tell I Sam I want to see more of Gendry. Um, Alaria Sand, is she still alive? Is she dead? Who knows? What about her daughter? Is she still watching her daughter die? I think I want to know more of that. Euron he- heading to Essos. We know that much, but is Yara with her? Is Yara still in King's Landing? What's going on there? And then, of course, uh, we talked about it to kick off this show. But the lack of the Glagane Bowl. Click- yeah, Glagane. The, the Mountain and the Hound. The epic showdown, you know, we've had all these different things, the battle, battle of the bastards, bastard bull. We've, we've, people always are building up these showdowns and a lot of them that people have thought would come true or that they've alluded to, most of them have paid off. 
but this one did not. It, it was the most anticlimactic showdown ever. We built up this Clegane bowl that they are going to fight, and the Hound has survived all this time to to come and and have this showdown with his brother. And it ends up that he looks at him, and he you know he he gives a little joke. Hey, you're uglier than I am now. And he says, "Well, it's it's not me that's going to kill you. I, I'm guessing he's alluding to the the whites that." The Night King and the, and the army is is more of a worry than yeah. he is. Is that what you gathered yeah, from that? Yeah, line? a little bit. So, and that was it. I mean, he just looks at him. He get, he says a joke, and and then he goes downstairs to uh, go get his backpack, his his white backpack <laughs> on, and that was it. Yeah. yeah. So those are those are some of the things that uh, that I that are that I think we both agree on really needs to be explained uh, next season. I was really hoping because they kind of alluded to it that Sam and John would would come back together and he would give them the yeah. information. So he, he was at the Citadel this whole time and he's learning all this secret stuff from the stacks and in between all of his toilet cleaning duties and and he's like I've got to leave and and go help John and just like all the girls in the previous season, all the Stark girls kept missing Rob and John and all of them. It's like Sam cannot hook back up with yeah. John here and I was really hoping for the reunion. We got we got the Stark reunion, but we didn't get Sam and John back together. So hopefully they find each other per, pretty early next season. But I am looking forward yeah, to seeing that. Well, I think that's all the topics that we want to talk about tonight on the finale of Game of Thrones Season 7, The Dragon and the Wolf. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about before we shut things down? No, I think that's pretty much it. If you've already listened to Real Spoilers, you know that we we spoil the plot of movies over there, and we do a movie of the week type format. So what we want to do with this is we want to talk about these great television shows that are perfect and ripe for discussion, like Game of Thrones is, but we want to give you a taste of the show and a taste of how passionate we are for these series. As you can see, we do our research. We want to find out the lineage of these characters and their motivations, and we really want to dissect them like on Real Spoilers that we do with the movies. We started at the end of this season. We're going to do some more Game of Thrones stuff, but we're going to get to a regular format where we're probably going to try to stick around an hour an episode, I would guess, and, and go episode by episode for a season. And if the plans don't change this October, I believe October 11th is the season premiere, season three of Mr. Robot. And uh, we'll do a week to week discussion when that starts. But until then, we're going to give you some specialty episodes. We're going to do a season wrap up next week, go over the entire season seven of Game of Thrones and kind of hit the main points. And then maybe we'll go back and look at the lineage of the, the Targaryens and the Starks. Those are the two big families, and obviously with this big Aegon revelation, with John actually being Aegon Targaryen, maybe we should go back and find out who all these Aegons were. And it's like there's there's this whole rich history, and part of the reason why it takes George R. R. Martin so long to write these books, he does build this huge backstory, similar to a Tolkien with Lord of the Rings. He really puts a lot of work into the lineage and, you know, who is this person's great, great grandfather and what did they do? And so uh, I think we might dive into some of that. It's it's actually quite interesting. And so especially if people are, are interested and want to hear it. Absolutely. Looking forward to all of this and more here at Show Spoilers. Once again, on behalf of myself and my co-host, Roger Roper, we'd like to thank you for joining us on the first ever Show Spoilers podcast. If you're joining us from Real Spoilers, this automatically showed up in the feed, but all future episodes will be on the Show Spoilers feed, so you have to subscribe there. Please join us at rss.acast.com slash showspoilers. That's rss.acast.com slash showspoilers. If you want to hear more about Game of Thrones, Mr. Robot, and any of the other television shows we'll be spoiling, join us there, subscribe, and please join the conversation online. We will have all our social media up very shortly, and also 
you should be able to subscribe on iTunes as well. But if you can't, just type that into your podcast app and you should be able to subscribe. No problem. So thanks again for joining us. And until next time, you've been warned. Warned.